to the Intuitive Insights podcast series. I'm Nina Lockwood, founder and director of Intuitive Interim and Executive Search. Throughout this series, I will be sharing engaging conversations with talented leaders from across the UK transport sector. Today, I'm delighted to welcome Tricia Williams, Chief Operating Officer for Northern Trains Limited. Tricia joined the industry in September 2020, so I think it's fair to say that she's joined the team at a really interesting and challenging time and um, has joined me on the Intuitive Insights podcast to share some of her thoughts on what she thinks the opportunities are for the future. I really hope you enjoy listening. Tricia Williams, Chief Operating Officer for Northern Trains. Welcome to Intuitive Insights. I am so delighted that you've made the time to join me. Thank you so much. Lovely to be here, Nina. Um, we've obviously we've been having a few conversations since you joined the rail industry, which is eight months now. I was I, I just had a look before, so it was last September, wasn't it, that you joined Northern from Manchester Airport Group. Um, and what a time to join, what an exciting time to come into the rail industry. I think it's a, a really exciting time. I think there's loads of opportunity in rail and I didn't realise it was eight months actually, Nina. That, that shocked me because the time has gone back past so quickly. But it, it's obviously been an interesting time to join from a COVID point of view as well, joining a company and an industry where everybody... Um, largely um who are in meetings with you are, are working virtually is is is, is has been interesting <laughs> absolutely it'll feel odd once you start seeing people in the flesh won't it and kind of in the in the same physical environment i know because i haven't actually met some of my team yet or some of my peers um i have been out and about as much as i can um i've tried to go out and see as many stations as i can i've tried to um, I have been to each one of our um, maintenance uh, depots and I've been back a couple of times. Um, but everybody's social distancing, everybody's doing a dance, you know, around mm-hmm. making sure there's not too many people in each room. We're all wearing face masks. So it, it's been, um, it will be, it will be interesting when I actually go to an office and um, uh, it, it, those, some of those uh, measures are, are, are relaxed at whatever point that is. Whenever we get there, I'm really looking forward to it. I'm really so am. looking forward to it. <laughs> so I'd like to start off in, in time-honoured way. We know that the audience of this podcast series are, are really enjoying hearing about people's career stories and what brought them into the transport industry. Um, so I'm wondering if you can give us a little kind of tour through your career, Tricia, because obviously prior to Manchester Airport, you, were, you weren't you were in the transport industry, no. were you? I think you're in a very relevant industry and there are, I think, I believe, quite a lot of similarities. But would you mind taking us through your career story, Tricia, please? With pleasure. And you'll need to, you know, me to with a big shepherdess crook at any point that I just carry on and on and on um because it's a long it's a long career now which is terrifying but I came into corporate world probably um straight from university in um early 90s and the I went into utilities um and into northwest water and I actually stayed there for 20 years so the time I was there it became united utilities but it was in its essence that water company in the northwest of England that I joined um, as a graduate trainee. 
Um, so my career in those 20 years of being with the company um, was 13 years in operations, and I can do a bit of a canter through that, and then seven years in change and transformation. So if I just uh, talk a little bit about that before I then move into when I moved into transport, into aviation. So the, the graduate programme I joined was absolutely fantastic. And I'm, I'm a real supporter of sort of early careers development. And I think, you know, having a mentor and being exposed to the different um, sides of the industry, both um, from a, a centre point of view and some of the, 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 the sort of strategic side of the, the, the business to very much the, the dirty end. So being out on a wastewater treatment works or a sewage treatment works, um, you know, being out on a water treatment works and at a distribution depot were all fantastic ways of having a fast track, a learning experience into an organisation. And I very much wanted to stay in, in operations. I, I absolutely loved it from, you know, a, a very early on in my career and then followed a um, a path of, of management into what I thought was my dream job, which was being a general manager of uh, water, wastewater and electricity, because we'd, we'd bought an electricity company at the time. And I became a general manager of what was called network management. And that was running control rooms, control, um, contact centers, scheduling and resource centers, um, the operational technology teams all involved in keeping water flowing, wastewater um, being taken from customer houses and, and keeping the electricity going as well. So truly operational, you know, it's, it's something that people, you know, water, having water, having electricity and having your sewage taken away are pretty essential Absolutely. to, to everybody's <laughs> lives. And if you, just, <laughs> if you disrupt that in any way, you know about it from a customer Absolutely. and operational point of view. So I just, loved that whole um, customer and people interaction and, and incident management and I deeply loved the company and and and, and still do you know still, still very proud of my 20 year career there and I was fortunate enough to be in the, the business when it was undergoing massive transformation so it, it was just post privatization there was a lot of money flowing into the business mm. and that money was being used to implement new systems and processes and there was a, a really strategic vision it was called vision 2000 so it, i could work with some fantastic consultants and really see how changing it changing processes centralizing operations or decentralizing operations could could bring about a better change for customers and for people who work for the business and and that sort of led me into being involved in change programs i was and so i went from operations and this fantastic job that i'd got which i thought was the pinnacle of my career this operations general manager role into um senior roles within the business but more in the um it and change management arena so i spent seven years then leading programs of change usually with a heavy it um element to them and and that took me probably um away from that frontline operational um part of the business and that was absolutely fine until there was a sort of a change of strategy which for me felt as if it had limited where my career was going to go okay. um so I'd done a lot of those senior roles and it was you're a bit in danger if you're not careful of, of then doing them again if that and, and not yeah. really 
having change or just changing um, a role title or, or um, you know, it, it feels like it's, it's a move, but you're not developing. Mm-hmm. And I had the opportunity of, of going to Manchester Airport um, to be transformation director. The CEO there knew me. He'd been my MD in, in United Utilities and, mm-hmm. and sort of said to me, would you ever fancy a change? And I was like, what? I've got a final salary pension. Mm-hmm. I'm, you know, I'm at a senior level, um, but why would I want to, you know, move? But actually, it really just coincided with that change in strategy in UU, and there were some exciting things happening in the world of aviation. So after 20 years, I made what I thought was a very brave decision, a fantastically brave decision to, to move industry. Uh, and um, go into the world of aviation, which was a bit of a culture shock, I have to say. Yeah, I bet um, it Because I'd been in a FTSE 100 company, processes and systems had been invested in for a long time. Mm. Technology was, you know, it was cutting, leading edge, not maybe cutting edge, but, mm. you know, we had the Office 365 suite. It was probably called something different then. But Outlook, you know, integrated with your, um, your calendar and your email and, uh, lots of integrated systems with, with um, you know, so you had visibility of data and performance information. And I went into a world of aviation. And my first big role in, in aviation was as customer and security services director. So running the three terminals at Manchester Airport. And um, I didn't even know on a, you know, who was coming through the doors because we didn't mm. have uh, custom accounting technology oh, wow. and um so I, I and we had lotus notes so it was a bit like oh well, right wow. okay so I've, I've got to step back a little bit in time yeah and um but it was so exciting because probably in the water industry I was one of those people who knew everything I knew everybody I knew everything and you have things work and um change was um as I say, was was largely underpinned by big technology change, mm. but it wasn't dynamic in a way that aviation was. You know, I I entered aviation at a time where just coming out of the recession in 2012, and the airport was experiencing double digit growth, mm. and so to keep up with that growth, particularly in operations, was just a relentless pursuit of. Um, building new security areas, recruiting security people, building car parks, operating car parks, mm-hmm. keeping on keeping on top of an ever increasing customer demand. So when I started in the airport, it was 17 million customers a year. Um, by the time I got to be chief operating officer of Manchester Airport, it was 28 million customers wow. a year. So a rapid, rapid increase. Yeah. Um, in an airport which was 80 years old yeah so some of the parts were very modern and some of the parts were very old (laughs) so um you know that it really was a sweet spot for me of um customers and change and you know a big leadership role that's what really makes me tick you know where you've got a big leadership role which doing something very very purposeful and you know transport is as purposeful as utilities Um, so I had a fantastic nearly nine years at, at the airport group. And again, in the airport group, I did a sort of a twin track career there. I did operational roles like being chief operating officer, but I also did transformation roles. So I led 
some of those um, functions that really support transformation, such as IT, HR, engineering services. Um, and um, you know, that was great for me because it enabled me to develop and um, lots of opportunity. And then the pandemic struck and wiped, you know, took the floor out of, um, out of aviation, really. Um, so I, I didn't realize it at the time, you know, because it was busy. You know, we had to save a company. We had to save yeah. jobs. We had to, you know, I had a lot of, at the time the pandemic hit, I was um, um, carrying out a role which was about customer transformation, but I had um, the functions of HR, IT. So getting everybody working virtually, you know, working with the unions to look at things like furlough agreements. I was busy and it was probably about four months in, maybe not even that long into the, the pandemic where I realized actually this was this was serious. I think everybody initially maybe thought this is going to be 12 weeks, it's going to have a lockdown for 12 weeks and then we're all going to go back to some sort of normality. Mm. And I think it, you know, all the scenarios that we were running with around um, the growth at the end of that 12 week period, we had a sort of an optimistic case, a mid um, sort of optimistic stroke pessimistic case and then a pessimistic case. And over the 12 weeks, we lost the optimistic case. We, we lost the mid range case. And all of a sudden we were working on a case that was lower than the pessimistic case. Yeah. And into redundancies and restructuring, serious restructuring to, mm -hmm. to try and save the business and and my role at the time was very much a fan breaker and so I had really good conversations with the chief exec about my development my future and it just didn't feel like I was going to get motivated mm -hmm. um, so it was a big decision to leave aviation yeah and I had quite clear ideas about what I wanted to do I wanted to stay in the north I've been a member of the northern powerhouse partnership I'm um, very lucky to have been on the Northwest Business Leadership team for some years now. I live in Liverpool, so I'm I'm from the north, and I was I thought I was very naive, and I thought you know this is this is you know I'm going to have to relocate. I'm I'm going to have to you know look further than the north to find that job, which you know ticks the box for me in terms of you know purposeful large enough to really sort of be that leadership role that I love mm. and that matters you know from a customer and, and a people point of view and then I got asked about the you know that somebody sort of showed me the, the Northern Trains Chief Operate, Operating Officer role and it was a colleague I worked with um, through a headhunter and he'd given them my name and I just said to him, this is me. This has got me written all over it. He said, well, I know that's why I, you know, that's why I think, you know, you, you should go for it. Yeah. <clears throat> and the rest is history. <laughs> Absolutely. It's giving me goosebumps. <laughs> because it just feels like it, you, it could not be a more perfect yeah. role. And, you know, if you'd have written the job description and said, right, go and find me one of those. It, it's the, it is the perfect role, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. And and I really I really admire kind of this theme that's coming through that that you have this ability to kind of let go of the ledge as I would call it. Do you know, like we're kind of all very oh we'll just keep it safe and we won't you know we'll manage the risk because actually it's your job it's your career it's an important thing. But leaving you you 
after so long and and it feeling like home to then going into aviation and having a great time and going like the clappers with the with the double digit growth to then kind of like all right okay this isn't quite what we were expecting but then to go into this role with northern which just seems to me to be taking every bit of experience that you've had so far in your career and bringing it all together it's just the perfect role I felt it was and lots of people you know will say to you you know don't don't take the first role that you're offered um I just couldn't see any reason why I shouldn't you know because it just felt like it ticked all my boxes and it was a massive decision to leave aviation and and um I read a book which is a favorite of mine which I've mentioned in in um a little uh, vlog recently which is called who moved my cheese and I don't know if you've read that book but Uh I absolutely love it yeah and I've recommended it to so many people over the years and I thought you know what I need to read this now because I've I'd spoken to, you know, my family, you know, I've got three sisters, I've got three sons, you know, I'm lucky I've still got my mum. And I'd, and I'd asked very close um, female friends, you know, with, yeah. they thought I was mad. <laughs> and, 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 and I knew where my heart was going, but I just took it and read it. I was ironing one day and I thought it was Saturday and I needed to make a decision really. And whether to let go of the edge, that's a lovely yeah. expression. Yeah. And I read Who Moved My Cheese and, you know, I think there's a little quote in there around what would you do if you weren't afraid? And That's I just thought, I'm going to I'm gonna yeah. go for it. And my yeah. husband came in and he, and he said, how are you getting on? I said, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go for it. And you can see like, a little shock on his face. <laughs> what? <laughs> you know, she's off again. Um, but, you know, it, absolutely. I've just made up my mind at that, at that yeah. point, really. That, yeah. um, I just, I needed a motivation to get up out of, bed every day and you know I just I, I I couldn't see and sadly it's proven true how aviation was going to recover and therefore all of the good work to create the capacity because capacity mm. is king in aviation yeah you know to you know to all of that excitement of you know making sure you could have the infrastructure ready the resources ready it's right people right time yeah doing the right thing um, in the right place, you know, that was just a constant challenge in aviation. All of a sudden you had more capacity than, than you needed. Mm-hmm. And, you know, actually they just, I, I couldn't see how it was going to recover in, in the, in the, um, in the next couple of years. And I was 50 last year, Nina, no. just before lockdown, all my, <laughs> you know, party plans went out the window <laughs> Um, and all the, the, the great things I'd planned for the year but it but it was a chance for me just to reflect and think I'm too young to now um, and equally I'm too old to waste the next couple of years I haven't got yeah, time absolutely. I need to you know so I still have you know I believe 10 years at least in me you know to give to a career in another industry or another company yeah. and but I haven't got I haven't got that much time to sit around and, and be in a bit of a comfort zone for two, three, four years, yeah. maybe. Yeah. And it's that that kind of um, that thinking about 
you know, I, I remember having this this same thought myself last year about, you know, time time just carries on, even though it felt when we were certainly in that first lockdown, and, and maybe even more so in this one that we've, we've we're just coming out of, that somebody had pressed the pause button, that it's kind of right, nothing's happening, we're all kind of you know just kind of frozen in time, and then I had a bit of a wake up call to myself because I thought, Do you know what, but it it hasn't actually, we we are not paused because that sand is still flowing through that timer, and it was kind of I oh, just got to get on with it, haven't you? Um, and but I think the good news is, Tricia, I'm reliably informed that any birthdays that we had last year <laughs> don't count. So we've got a year in credit. So you've got all of your 50th celebrations. You can still do because it didn't count last year. <laughs> I, 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 I'll, I'll subscribe to that. I like that. <laughs> I keep reminding my husband who, who bought me a fantastic cruise. For a, a holiday, yeah. I keep saying to me, "I haven't had a fiftieth present yet," you know. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, um, I'm really all of that is just kind of, you know, I love hearing these stories, and I love hearing the stuff, the themes that are coming through, in terms of you wanting to kind of what makes you tick, and and obviously being part of something which is purposeful which you know is contributing not just to to making somebody some money actually what what you have done throughout your career has made society better for everybody else because you know whether that's the the sewage treatment plants or whether it's getting people on a train to get from a to b and and let's hope that that double digit growth experience that you've got is going to be put to some good use at some point in the medium to long term um, on the uk railway system Absolutely. <laughs> in terms of what's to come then, um, you know, it's one of my, it's become a tradition now, Tricia, on these podcasts that I say to my guests, looking at the rail industry as it is, knowing what we know and knowing that we've got a lot of opportunity ahead of us in terms of being able to do things differently, reimagine the railway, look at this opportunity. If you had three wishes for what could be different, what would your three wishes be? I think I would definitely want some more technology. And I say technology to drive decision making. So it's probably more data. And, and, and probably there's people listening who will say, we've got loads of data. So it's how you translate that data into insight and then that will aid decision making. So it's a combination of, you know, data that will help us make, um, the, you know, decisions um, at the right time. So real time data that's useful and insightful. Mm. And I think that's important because we're going to have to be more agile. Um, so. Yeah, and I've seen some great you know, examples of that already in rail, but I, from speaking to people, I don't think that's necessarily how the industry was perceived or how people worked pre-COVID. Mm -hmm. So I'd love us to get on the back of that agility that's been found and demonstrated through COVID and apply it. And I think in order to apply it in, a, in an informed way, we've got to have data and technology to back that up. Mm -hmm. um, I would say... If I had three wishes, so I've got a magic wand out now, I would absolutely, absolutely want a more diverse workforce. Yeah. Um, and I think that's because it's just um, to be able to represent our customers better, we really need to tap into 
what our customers want in order to build um you know that double digit growth that that we want yeah and you know i um i but you know northern i'm so proud of the work that they've done to get out there with recruitment campaigns and demonstrate you know how what the opportunities are in rail because i think i've i've um, said this to you before Nina, and when we've had chats it's the it's the best kept secret you know and and lots of people who i talk to from industry i've been in before or just you know um people i know have a perception of rail and that puts them off coming into rail and i just wish with the um with one of your wishes that we could yeah. we could um roll forward because i think we've we've got a fantastic industry here to attract more diverse uh, workforce too um and then probably the last one would just be to have more collaboration and a more partnership working um and less um Covenants is probably too strong a word, mm-hmm. but I think um, I do see um, great partnership working now with some of my contacts in Network Rail. And again, you know, I've had uh, sort of anecdotes to say it hasn't always been like that. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I truly believe that in order for us to transform the industry, we've got to have that thought leadership and collaboration across the industry and not just within our own um company yeah I think that was one of the themes for me when when I was speaking to to clients and contacts in the industry last year when we were in the thick of crisis management um and I was doing what I usually do and trying to find the positives which was quite challenging right you know early days but one of the consistent messages in those conversations was about collaboration and the fact that all of the stakeholders in the industry were working better together than they had ever done before. And so some of those barriers and, you know, walls and dividers that had been put up between the operating community, the infrastructure provider, the department themselves, perhaps the unions, all of these stakeholders were all coming to the table and wanting to sort it out and wanting to do what needed to be done to keep everybody safe who worked on the railway and also the people that were were still having to to travel on the railway. So that for me would definitely, if someone was giving me three wishes, that would definitely be one of mine, that 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 level of collaboration and partnership that the industry achieved in a very, very quick space of time could be carried on even when we move into whatever's going to be called, you know, new normal, what the future looks like. I I agree. And I think if I had a fourth, sorry to be pushy, but um, it would be to have a very strong vision for the industry that all of the different partners can sign up to and therefore be aligned to. Because I think it's without that vision, everybody will create their own. And and then you start getting, you know, um, uh, break off paths or, you know, routes to that. Whereas if you've got a very strong vision of where you want to get to, then people sort of collaborate around that. So maybe we can't have the collaboration if we don't have the vision. But if we've got the two together, then that would be really powerful. Really good point. Yeah, really good point. So in terms of the... um, kind of moving into talk about leadership in a in a wider level um throughout your career i absolutely am 100 confident that you will have had some really great leaders 
and people that you look to to kind of say yes I that's I'll borrow that I'll put that into my skills portfolio um I'm sure there's also been some people where you thought yeah that's what that's how not to do it I won't be doing it like that um what's important to you Tricia in terms of leadership and and kind of role modeling the kind of stuff that that you would like to see within the business what what are the key things for you communication absolutely and I learned that as a lesson through COVID really last year um that you can't communicate enough and I am an extrovert so I do tend to talk before I think sometimes but as a leader you know I would always err on the side of caution and try and communicate more um because I think you can get into problems if you if you're quiet or um not quiet as in a behavioral quiet Mm -hmm. because my eldest son is very quiet and and um I've learned a lot from him <laughs> about <laughs> listening more um, but and, and, and just being able to think through things. But it's more about um, stay, maybe staying silent on things that people really want to know about. And I think you've just got to treat people as adults and, and communicate. And that was a very much a lesson that I learned um, last year through COVID. Um, I, I, interestingly, when I joined um, Northwest Water as a, a graduate trainee back in the early 90s, there weren't a lot of people who looked like me, you know, looking up every single manager I had from the age of probably 22 was male. Mm-hmm. And I've never worked for a woman since, you know, 1991. Mm-hmm. And therefore, I had to take the pieces, as you said, of who I thought was a good leader, but that resonated with me. And I know there's a lot, a lot written, written about authentic leadership. Mm-hmm. But I think that's what it is. What, what what leadership means for me is about being authentic as a person. So I, you know, would work for somebody and think, oh, I like the way they do that, but I'm not sure I could, you know, bang the table or right. I couldn't, you know, raise my voice in a meeting or I couldn't swear or I couldn't, you know. Um, and and so therefore, I sort of picked out the things that I thought, oh, well, that, even though that, you know, it was it was a man. That's what I that that's what I want to be like, you know, that part of that manager and that part of that manager and and therefore almost um reinforcing those things in me that I felt would make me a good leader and not taking one example and, and thinking I had to be like that person. It was more the pieces of all of those different managers. And again, as a graduate, you get to work for a lot of managers very quickly, which is great because mm-hmm. you can sort of calibrate what works for you and what doesn't work for you. And therefore, I, you know, felt comfortable with myself as a leader, you know, after a, a certain period of time. And I felt that that was me and, and I was an authentic leader. So I think authenticity is really important because people will see right through you if you're not. Yeah. So I think communication and being authentic, if, if, that's, uh, yeah, if that makes really, sense. Yeah, absolutely it does. And I think the um, the other thing about authenticity for me is that, if you are trying to be something you're not, it's flipping exhausting. You know, because I know certainly much earlier on in my career, I remember working within within a head office environment for the Royal Bank. And when I arrived, I just pitched up from branch banking. You know, I was I was just kind of, you know, turned up into the head office in Edinburgh, quite inexperienced, probably more than a bit naive, and was going into these, these really high-level meetings, feeling like I'm probably just here to make the coffee and not to contribute, um, and then trying to kind of emulate the people around the table. And as you say, that's that's not 
the right thing to do because it's it's important to kind of stand in your own personality and bring your own um, value to the table, which is something that, that I did learn. But I, I think, to be honest, it took me longer than it should have done. Um, but we've got, like we were saying before we started recording, there are so many more amazing women now in business and and actually yes not enough but still some amazing women in the rail industry um that that can be role models and can demonstrate a different type of leadership um and and that authenticity uh, shines through doesn't it i think so definitely and um you know, some of the greatest managers i worked for at the beginning of my career you know just helped me realize that you didn't have to be you know aggressive you didn't have to be you know I worked for some amazing managers and and that and I was so lucky I feel like I was really lucky in, in who I worked for because I could pick I could pick pieces yeah. of of what I felt resonated with me so it did take time um and, and, and I don't think you get to it overnight mm. um and um I think I think um I was reflecting on this the other day it, it must be so tough to join a company as a graduate at the moment because that experience of just watching how people work and just linking you know just just sort of having time to reflect on your own development I think we've, we've lost a bit of that through Covid because it's been so busy just keeping going you know in terms of operations and the business side of um, any um, you know, industry at the moment is just trying to make the finances work and trying to keep the service ongoing and, and actually some of those um very important personal development um activities have maybe been put to one side and i'm, I'm pleased to say in northern i've, I've seen a, a lot of that really good personal development but but out of necessity sometimes it, it you know it, it loses priority and i i do feel we've all we all should sort of try and see how we can mentor somebody or just help somebody who's starting off in in, in the world of work at the moment, just to make sense of all of these different styles that they must get bombarded with yeah. and, and understand what does that mean for them. Because it must be so difficult when you when you maybe can't even watch somebody's sort of body language at the moment. Exactly. Yeah. And I think, you know, how we learned when we started work was by being in meetings with people or sitting in an office with somebody, you know, seeing how they communicated, how they behaved, even down to body language. You can't pick that up on a on a Teams call. It's just not it's not possible. So I think that there as as much as we've got loads of opportunity around um, what we do with customer, how we use digital, how we use data, with there's loads of stuff that we can do commercially with the railway. I think one of the really big important things as we move forward into whatever we're moving forward into is this thing thought around how do we help people adjust? What does hybrid working mean? Because it sounds very much like that's what we're, we're going towards. So how, as an employer, can we help people adjust to that, but make sure that all of that great development stuff that happened in the old days by, we used to call it sitting with Nelly. Yeah, yeah. It's that expression, yeah, like yeah. sitting with Nelly. It's like literally you sit next to someone and learn. Absolutely. And I remember how one of my, you know, training plans had, sitting with Nelly because you could go on 
courses for certain things but in other areas you just had to do the job yeah. and the only way you could learn the job was to sit with the person who was experienced at doing the job but just listening to you mention hybrid there I think we you know we will all have to navigate through this because um you know I I've got three boys I went and I've always worked full-time and um and I've got friends who didn't work but I've got friends who did part-time work as well mm. and it always seems naively that part-time being a part-time work and part-time mum mm. you know, was the best of both worlds and actually it's the most difficult world I'm pretty convinced of that mm. after you know um seeing you know um part-time um people trying to navigate through because they try and do everything at work and everything yeah. at home as well whereas I was quite happy to let the little things go at home <laughs> you know yeah. and not not be you know um not beat myself up too much about being the perfect mom or you know and I, I was you know if you needed to, to send a cake in with the boys for school I was quite happy to buy a you know shop bought one I wasn't proud at all yeah. um but you know friends of mine who tried to, to, to they set themselves such high standards in both and I think that sort of that we've got to be careful haven't we not to make you know try and hybrid be all things to all people because exactly. actually how we how we all try and navigate our way through into what the the new normal will be post pandemic, which I am hoping we get to. It'll be different. It'll be different, and and I think we've got to try not to set sort of unrealistic expectations. Yeah. Um. Because true. because you know we like to set um, high standards, but we've we've got to we've just got to work our way through this. I think. Yeah. Um. Carefully. I agree, completely agree. I think high standards are good, perfection is overrated. (laughs) So you've already shared a nugget with us earlier in terms of a book that you would recommend. And I did, I read Who Moved My Cheese. That was recommended to me years ago. And it's made me think that I want to go back and read it again. And it is one I've kept because I thought I would want to read it again. But I'm really interested, um, Tricia, in in hearing one again, you know, one of the the um, the parts of the podcast that people really enjoy is the bit where I ask my guests to to leave us with a quote. Right. So something that is meaningful to you um, that, you know, whether it makes you think or it inspires you or it helped you, whatever. Um, but have you got something that you can share with us um, in terms of a, of a favourite quote? I do. I've got two. Is that really greedy? No, that's um, absolutely fine. So the one I always use with change, because this is, and I think this is about leading people through change. I have no idea who wrote the quote. Somebody told me it was an old Chinese proverb at one point. So let's go with that. But it is, um, tell me and I will forget. Show me and I may remember. Involve me and I will understand. And it's back to that point around leadership and communication so I really like that one and and just a bit of a conscience on my shoulder about if you're taking people through change involve them you know as much as you can rather than just tell them yeah and then the other one is it's definitely something that my granny um used to say and it's it's come to me so many times through COVID and it's a prayer actually and it's God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change the courage to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference. Yeah. And after sort of my husband screams at the tally, you know, with politics and COVID, and you just have to learn sometimes yeah. that there are gravity issues 
you can't, you know, and, and know your sphere of influence. So I really like that prayer because yeah. I do, you know, I like to be accountable. Um, but equally, I think sometimes it's understanding that other things you can't change. So try not to waste too much energy. Absolutely. Focus on what you can change. As you said, what, what is in your sphere of influence rather than worrying about stuff that, that we can't. And that is a conversation that I have so often with my 18-year-old daughter. It's kind <laughs> of like, if I can just get something into you that I wish somebody had told me a long time ago, then I'll be very happy. So two absolutely great quotes there, Tricia. Um, I could talk to you for hours um, I'm very much looking forward to the point when we can actually go and sit down and maybe you know have a conversation over some lunch or just you know in a bit of more oh, of a face to face same physical environment I think we're all looking forward to being able to do that um, I know that you're a massive champion of the north which is something else we've got in common so it's just it's really lovely to talk to you I'm super grateful to you for making the time to join us on the podcast and for sharing your story because I know with 100% confidence that our Intuitive Insights audience are going to really enjoy it so thank you. My pleasure Nina thank you. My huge thanks to Tricia for sharing her thoughts and her insights with us on the Intuitive Insights podcast. We'll be back with you in two weeks time.